0: for our scripture reading. Tonight, we've come to Exodus 3. We're going to cover verses 16 through 22, although I'm going to back up to verse 15 to remind us where we left off. Exodus 3, starting in verse 15. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and Hittites, Amorites, and Perizzites, and to the Hivites and Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And then you will heed your voice. You shall come, and you, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No. Not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go, you shall not go empty handed But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is the very word of God. Amen. You may be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. O Holy Spirit of God, would you illuminate our hearts now that we may know and understand this word by faith? Would you change us? God, would you refine us by it? Would you cut it by us and convict us, God? We pray, teach us now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we continue on in the redemptive actions of God for his people in Exodus 3, we now see more advance and even more specificity in the promises that God makes to his people. So moreover, we're seeing the the continuity of this redemptive historical picture from Israel to the Christian today really unfold before us. And namely, it's 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 the brilliant story of rescue and salvation. But not just a saving, but a redeeming, a deliverance, a, a member, a, a buying back, as it were, from bondage to freedom, a redemption from slavery, to a promised land, a redemption from the self-serving prison of our sins to the place of life and light. In fact, this very picture of redemption from bondage to freedom, from darkness to light, it's the gospel message. It's Christianity. You know, when we say the gospel, it's right here in Exodus 3. This is it. We, we find, really, in the Word of God we we read it and we we read genesis 1 this morning but then we'll come to genesis 3:15 won't we we'll come to genesis 3:15 but then we find everything after that the whole rest of the bible is this story it's the story of redemption of god's people and this is what the word shouts this is what it proclaims god's faithfulness to his people god's redemption of his people God's continuing eternal salvation and preserving of his people. You might remember Psalm 56 ends with this declarative truth. For you have delivered my soul from death. You have kept my feet from falling that I may walk before in the land of the living. We may walk before God in the the land, in the light of the living. Or said another way, in the light of life. From death to life, from darkness to light. First Corinthians 13 says it this way, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us to the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So this is the joy of the Christian, right? This is the new life we have in Christ. We talked about this morning, the recreation, uh, a salvation that we could never earn ourselves, but the one that Christ is secured by God's grace through faith that has been embedded within us so that now as we live our daily lives, We have the promised and one redemption of God. Hallelujah. This evening, we're going to look at this passage, this small section, in four headings. I'm just going to divide it up into four headings. One is, God gives the promise. Then, God's deliverance comes with specificity and great hope. Then, God's deliverance, we notice, is decisive. And then, we have God's deliverance... To his people forever. So let's start in verse 16. God gives the promise. Verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together. And say to them. The Lord God of your fathers. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. God of Jacob. Appeared to me. Saying I have surely visited you. And seen what is done to you. In Egypt. And I have said I will bring you up. Out of the affliction of Egypt. To the land of of the Canaanites, to the land of promise, to the land flowing with milk and honey. So the promise is given from God. He gives it through Moses, right? And then he Moses is to give it to the elders. The elders, the promise of rescue, the promise of redemption, the promise of salvation. Now, one note here, when it says elders, we might think of like elders in a church. Like you might think of like us pastors, right? But that's... Not exactly what it's talking about here. When Moses, to give it to the elders, it's actually to the family heads who represent the people of God at that time. So we, we don't really have this exact kind of order today in our society, uh, mainly because there's a lot of fragmentation in our culture. But think if, think if all of your children, all of your grandchildren, all of your aunts and uncles and cousins, and I mean, everybody in your extended family went to church here. A reformation. And just think about that for a minute. Like, first of all, we need more seats. But, but you see that we, we would sort of have this sort of, probably for each family group, some kind of patriarch type of person that would be like the spokesman, like the head person that we would talk to. We have a lot of Craigs here. Maybe Neil Craig would be like the elder, right? That we would communicate, that Moses is going to communicate to and pass on this story of redemption. He would go and tell you know, his sons, you know, uh, Steve and Danny and Daniel, uh, David, and, and, t- and tell them these things. So this is, this is the picture of, of, uh, of the elders that, that he's referring to. So they were assembled, the elders were assembled to hear the story of God's faithfulness. How God is just promised to take them out of this land of slavery, which is a bad place, land of bondage, to this, this promised land... Of milk and honey. And it's, of course this picture of milk and honey. This beautiful picture of a resting place. Of a place of protection. A place of bounty. A place of peace. Not just physically. But ushering in a sense of God's, God's land. It's God's, God with them. God protecting them. God overseeing them. Now we're told this promised land is called Canaan. Canaan, a land of milk and honey, and the picture of honey here is probably more like a picture of, of syrup that they would get out of sweet grapes. It's, it's just a picture of bounty. Anybody seen a grape vine that's just like, they just grow and grow. We have one on a little house in Castle Rock, and this thing just grows out of control. We have to cut it back multiple times through the summer. Just so many grapes, And this is the picture of the promised land. It's just like bounty and blessing and abundance and like, wow, so much you can't even handle. Flowing with milk and honey. This is spiritually the delight of God's love and and the redemptive work of his faithfulness. This is the picture. And this is the same picture, of course, that we have in Christ in John 10. John 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I will give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. That's really the picture of the promised land. I'm going to bring you to this land where you're protected, where you're safe, where there's bounty. And of course, that's the same picture we have in Christ. And God's people here are not just, not just, rescued like some special force operation out of enemy territory but they are in fact redeemed they are they are forgiven they are uh given salvation and freedom as it were through the redemption uh through this redemptive work and of course that reflected to us we see in Ephesians that we read today we have in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace and it is this Grace and faithfulness of God that he's promising to the Israelites in Egypt. So God gives the promise. He gives the promises. he's going to take them out of Egypt into the promised land. And in Christ, of course, we know we've been set free from the bondage of sin and death and set in a new place, set sort of in Canaan, in the freedom that Christ has won where we will live eternally with everlasting joy and peace with him. So secondly, we see in this section that deliverance comes with specificity and hope. In other words, God is going to tell them how he's going to save them, specifically in verse 18. Then they will heed your voice and you shall come, you and the elders of the king of Israel to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. So the promise comes with specific instructions about how they're to go about this. God has an approach for his people to take a journey to worship, which of course is very fitting because this is exactly what God wants His people to do. He wants his people to serve and worship him, right? So God, he tells, God even tells them what's going to happen. You're going to go ask the king of Egypt to do this. And he's not going to want you to go. The the king of Egypt is not going to want you to go. So God, God, of course, promises something else. He gives them another promise. A promise on top of a promise. That he will strike Egypt with his power, with his mighty wonders. And then, then, after you see all these wonders, then the king of Egypt is going to let you go. So we're already seeing a glimpse of the reality that will happen. Which is, Egypt is actually going to submit to its own slaves, which is incredible. It's amazing. It's really much more of a a story than just these Hebrew slaves just sort of escaping at night or being released. The slaves are actually overcoming their captors by the power of their God. And, of course, this is an incredible way that God shows his power and that he's glorified. And God said of the Egyptians, they will heed your voice, they'll listen to your request To God, because God says, I'm going to strike them with wonders. Which leads us to our third point that the deliverance and redemption is decisive. Again, this is not just a not just a a hidden in the night rescue plan. This is a very decisive action. Verse 21 and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now there's a few incredible things that we need to note here. First, note that it's God who controls the heart. Verse 21, it says, I will give this favor and they will let you go. So it's, It's God that is controlling all these things. As we know, God, we're going to see later in Exodus, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. God softens Pharaoh's heart, lets them go, hardens his heart again to chase them through the Red Sea. But God's in control of these things. And we we need to remember that, particularly in a day where we look to nations and politicians and money to solve all of our problems But it's God that changes the heart. I mean, all the money in the world cannot change a man's heart. All the the best politics or conservative whatever talk shows in the world can have great ideas, but nothing can change the heart. Only God can do that. So we see that it's not just going to be an escape of God's people from Egypt, but the Egyptians will actually want you to leave. They will actually be like, get out of here, please leave. They're going to send you away and you will plunder them. Now, what is plundering? Not something that we talk about every day. It's probably not a word that you say on a daily basis because there's not a lot of plundering going on uh, as it's described here. But plundering, as it's used here, is when a nation is utterly defeated, typically in a wartime they get, they're defeated by the enemy, and then the enemy soldiers come in and plunder them. They take all of their possessions, they take all their gold, all their jewelry, all their weapons, leave them there with nothing, okay, and now what happens? That nation they just conquered and plundered become their slaves, because they have nothing to fight back with. And so we see that this is not a situation of just God's people being released, but it's a conquering. It's a victory, which is why God's people, as, as, when, when, we get, when we get to it uh, later in Exodus, we'll see that God's people actually leave Egypt, it says, boldly and defiantly with their arms raised because God had already won. They were, they're not just delivered, but they're actually conquering the Egyptians. It's an amazing picture. If you think about it, these are the slaves these are the, and they're in slavery and bondage, and they become the conquerors through the power of their God. See, God gets all the glory in this case. And notice, in, it's emphasized in verse 21, you shall not go empty-handed. See, God had actually already secured this promise back in Genesis to Abraham. Back in Genesis 15, God said, then he said to Abraham, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not their, theirs and will serve them and they will fl- afflict them for 400 years and also the nation whom they serve I will judge and after that shall come out with great possessions so there it is god is just fulfilling this which he's already said to abraham so the israelites will leave egypt not empty-handed because which is a good thing because they don't know it but they're about to go on a big journey <laughs> and they don't have anything because they're slaves Rather, all these years of bondage, in a sense, are being recompensed. God is making up for it. Again, this is a part of God's redemptive work. He's not just buying back and saving his people, not by just some overnight mission, but he is fully, comprehensively, decisively, out in the open for God's power to be seen. He is saving his people. So, the Israelites don't just escape the bondage but they are effectively compensated, if you will, for the pain, for the suffering of all these years God's repaid his people. Or said said another way, all the silver, all the gold, all the jewelry that they're going to receive, they will experience these sort of gifts from their oppressors, just as God promised Abraham. So this is really the extreme grace and love and mercy of our God. Now, one interesting thing, that that we have to consider as we as we read this this amazing history is that god could have softened pharaoh's heart couldn't he i mean he could have just he could have just softened his heart and said oh yeah you can go worship god and none of the plagues would come but but what but, but god hardened his heart why because god received more glory through it right so that this redemptive work would be so clear that it was the work of God and not men. So clear that it was not the work of magicians turning the water you know, into blood. This was the work of God. And, and we see that this with certainty, uh, that, that it had to be a supernatural work of God by which slaves would become conquerors. And then we're going to have the final redemption in this aspect uh, of God's redemption through the Red Sea. But isn't this what we really see, even in Psalm 2, as God explains how there's a raging against God and against his people, but it doesn't last. In fact, God's power is decisive against it. Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. And against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven shall laugh and the Lord shall hold them in derision and he shall speak to them in his wrath. See, God tells them he will have the victory. He has told us that as well. We have nothing to fear. This is the, this is the promise of redemption, the promise of salvation to his people. So we can rest secure in that place armed with that hope in God. He says, I will deliver you, and you can be sure of it. Psalm 91 talks about we will not even be struck by day. We won't won't just be left out there. Our God is with us, our God's faithfulness. As we said before, his mercy endures forever. We don't just walk away from, from Egypt like victims. We walk away in triumph, as Jesus even made a public spectacle of them. And, of course, we will see that they will be crushed by God's powerful hand. So the Israelites left with their arms raised in victory as warriors who had just won a battle. And that's how God's people left in Egypt. No longer slaves, but sons. No longer in bondage, but free. Which brings us to our last point, that God's deliverance to his people is very clear. Or, said another way, we see this redemptive working in the lives of us today, of Christians today. And this is really a picture of the covenant compassion of God to all his people. You might remember from Ephesians 2, but God who is rich in mercy because of of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved, raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God comes to his elect to deliver them from the oppressive domain of darkness, from the land of bondage and slavery, and delivers them into the kingdom of blessing, into the kingdom of life and light, into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. As we said from Colossians 1, he's delivered us from this power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Lastly, notice that God, he saves us the way that he plans. And if you think think back, you're you're an Israelite, you're there in Egypt, very oppressed, you're, you're in the slavery, you're in the bondage of Egypt. You know, now you're at the point where Pharaoh's commanded that all your firstborn sons are killed, or put in the river, killed. Um, what would you want? You might just want to not be enslaved anymore. It's like, you know, if, if Egypt could just let us go back to not being enslaved, not killing our children, that would be nice. But of course, God has so much more for his people. He, because God wants his people to worship him And serve him in holiness and joy. And so this is not just a stopping Pharaoh from being mean. This is a redemptive work to a new life. And is even as we shared this morning, to a new place, a new land, a new creation. And so I'm going to read some excerpts from Ephesians 1. And just listen for what God has for his people. You're you're seeing the promises in Exodus. And we're just seeing them reflected here as well in Christ in Ephesians. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? And Colossians reiterates this by calling God's redemptive people elect and holy and beloved. And this is an incredible grace that, that we all share in. And remember, Remember, it's not just a rescue operation. It is a conquering. It is a victory. It's a continuing victory over bondage, out of slavery, the disarming of sin and death, into the promised land, into eternal life of glory with Christ in heaven forever. And so our closing application with that in mind is that knowing that we've been saved from sin and misery through God's redemptive work, what effect does this have on our life? Specifically, let me ask us, how does this motivate our service and worship to God? Well, knowing the redeeming work of God, it should propel us with gratitude and a love for God. It should drive us to worship God, to serve Him with our lives. As Romans 12 says, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable for God our reasonable our sort of expected service. So we see how important this redemptive truth is to even to the Christian's daily life, right? It fuels us, it drives us, it increases our love and gratefulness for God. So this is God's hand upon his people. This is this is really the church. This is God's collective covenant people doing this together, right? R.J. Rushdoony said it this way, the church is God's covenant people. These people are the recipients, recipients and channels of God's real presence and glory on earth. They are soldiers in God's war against the power of darkness and heirs of God's kingdom and possessors of eternal life. Because remember, it wasn't just an escape plan. This is not like a little mouse that got out of its cage. No, God's redeeming work over his people is a supernatural, huge, significant overcoming of sin and death. The power of God, truly immense beyond our comprehension, that sets us free to eternal life. A mighty overcoming, a conquering that no man can overcome himself. So all the great nations of the earth cannot even come close to the redemptive salvation of our God that is brought through Christ His Son, buying us by his blood that we may be free to live for him and glorify him forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mighty work. Thank you for your powerful, decisive, redemptive work to your people and for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.